Good afternoon and thank you for once again for joining me for Business, The Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, one of our Harvard Business Review tips, this particular one, develop new productivity habits that will stick. We've also, uh, well, Christina's not with us today. As we heard last week, she's off in a conference in Boston. So we're going to have a quick discussion on trademarks versus business names. But right now, I'm going to have a chat with Dr. John Woodward, who's an associate law lecturer here at Newcastle University. And we're going to talk about doing business in a sensible and considerate way. Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for joining us again. Um, You're welcome. So, so I suppose the first question is, uh, what do we mean by doing business in a sensible and considerate way? Well, look, I just think, um, Julian, that, that some of some of the uh, advent of the digital technology and and uh, you know the, the banking arrangements and so on now led us a bit into a, a false sense of security in the sense that. Uh, one of the things that you've always stressed in, in um, you know, on this program and so on has been the importance of getting paid. A lot of those things are now done um, by um, the automatic, you know, debit arrangements and credit card arrangements and so on. So we seem to have less of a difficulty in, in getting paid, but we sh- we still should be cognizant of the need to remain in touch with the basic principles of things. You know, if we if we get paid automatically and we're not delivering the service, then we're going to have problems. Uh, we had uh, a, recent, a recent example, in my experience anyway, um, involved uh, proceedings when brought against uh, a, a business person for breach of warranty in relation to the sale of a new motor vehicle. Now, it was just done on the basis of a casual remark made carelessly by a sales representative who didn't check his facts properly before making these representations to uh, the purchaser, which were, although he made them in good faith, were completely um, untrue. They were quite inaccurate. Uh, The motor dealer was then later held liable for breach of contract. And uh, in the proceedings that followed, the dealer actually admitted uh, the misrepresentation, but uh, said that you know he he wasn't liable on the basis that he had no intention of misleading um, the purchaser. The problem was that, that that wasn't to the point. It was the effect of a misrepresentation which had affected the transaction, and so um, he was held liable because that was the, that was the problem. Now, um, you know there have been a number of examples of that kind of thing happening. Um, we're still seeing far too many informal arrangements being concluded between tradespeople and contractors further up the contract chain. You know, and the building building industry particularly seems to be terrible for this. Transactions have been conducted with, with no more formality than a phone call, you know. Can you be on site at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning with a two-ton truck? Yep, OK, I'll see you tomorrow. And then $50,000 worth of work later, there's a dispute over the terms of the arrangements and suddenly you've got an expensive legal case where the costs exceed the amount in issue and everyone's pointing the finger at the lawyers because they charge too much. But they haven't taken the basic steps necessary to look after their own interests beforehand, which might mean going to a lawyer and just making sure that your, uh, you know, your, your trade arrangements are up to date and mm. accurate and, and so on. So, uh, so we, should we, we find... is there ways of protecting ourselves in corporations or something? Well, well, you can do that. 
corporate structures uh, are there for specific reasons. I mean, they're there for two reasons, really. Firstly, because it allows the corporate entity to distribute its income and minimise liability for tax. So that's, that's the one that people usually identify with. The other one, though, is to limit personal liability in the event of exposure to financial loss because of business failure or uninsured claims, etc., by third parties. Yeah. It's not a very sensible or smart thing to do to set up these arrangements, set up these uh, corporate vehicles, and then to destroy the very protection that, that is afforded by those structures by doing silly things like intermingling your personal finances with the, with those of the company. You see that happen all the time. When you, an example, the, the, the common example um, is where directors just use the company credit card for their own personal expenses. Mm, a lot of that. They, 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 they fail to manage the company properly, uh, thereby exposing it to unnecessary risk. And also the director uh, to unnecessary risk, uh, for example, when, when the company trades while it's insolvent, if it becomes... Um, if it becomes insolvent, then the, the personal protection afforded by the structure is just it's gone. Uh, completely gone. Yeah. yeah, and we see a lot of that, yeah. don't we? We do. We so, do, unfortunately. So, yeah. So, have you got some advice for our listeners then? Well, generally, look, I think there are a few things that um, people can do. I think the first thing that they should do is to ensure that they think about. Um, the terms of engagement, the basis on which those, particularly in service contracts, but to what are the terms, you know, on what basis are you doing this, what is it you're agreeing to supply, and what is it that you're going to be, that you're charging. You've got to have the actual terms of engagement explicit and clear and preferably in writing so that everybody knows later on when the storm blows up what the terms were and there's not a long and expensive argument about that. The second thing is... If the trading terms are not in generic form, that is, if they're not in a printed form that can readily be viewed later on um, and acknowledged by the customer, ensure that you've got a specific arrangement in place for the work you're doing. Otherwise, you're taking the risk that you won't get paid. And finally, um, just for the sake of our discussion today, I'd say that if you're standing, if you're trading your business through a corporate structure, Respect the fact that it is a separate structure, it's a separate legal person, and regard it as being another person and take care of it as you would take care of your own personal financial circumstances. Don't expose it to risk and uh, make sure that it trades, uh, that it operates at, at arm's length. Now, that's probably all we've got time for this week, Julian, but anyway, I'm, I'm you know, happy to deal with any other questions you might have. So, so your point about uh, making sure we got our terms and conditions right and and uh, the terms of the contract, uh, you recommend putting things in writing most of the time, wouldn't you? Well, I do, and we, I mean, you and I have had this discussion many times before over the years, and and um, you know, um, I keep saying it, and other people keep saying it, and people keep not doing it. So I think it's still a live issue. Yeah. And, and um, I mean, it is a nuisance. People people sometimes say to me, look, you know, um, that's ridiculous for tradespeople who are out there and they feel they can't be, they're not good at paperwork and they can't be taking time out of their business to be worrying about, you know, tying up uh, paperwork, loose hands in paperwork. But that's all very well to say that. Um, but if you start... If you, if you run your business like that, then you're running it as you, you, you are, you're becoming a, a, a punter. 
You are betting that you're just working on the law of averages and you will get caught eventually. Mm. And then it will cost you. <laughs> and then it will really cost you and you'll spend a lot more time than it would have... <laughs> Then you would have spent looking after it in the first place. Right. Well, That's thanks, right. Thanks yeah. very much for your time again, John. We'll have a yeah, chat with you well again well. another time. Okay, thanks, Julian. Bye thanks. now. Bye-bye. Dr John Woodward there from the uh, University of Newcastle. Yeah, it's very sensible to uh, put things into writing. I've seen so many cases where people haven't and they've got caught. You're listening to Business, the Law Renew on 2NURFM. And as we said earlier... Christina's not with us today because she's in Boston attending a conference which we'll hear all about next week. So uh, I've chosen to have a look at a subject called trademarks versus business names. I know we've spoken about it before and we've just been talking with Dr John Woodward about the cost of contracts and things like that. This is another area where people can get caught out and end up costing them money. And uh, the article, an article in the uh, Sydney Morning Herald last week caught my attention because uh, it starts off by saying Kylie Hughes' heart sank when a letter arrived in the post from IKEA's lawyers. Her fledgling business, Stylekea, which is S-T-Y-L-K-E-A, which sells products enabling customers to transform their flat pack furniture, was in trouble with IKEA over her attempt to trademark her business name. She was uh, they were claiming the right over the KEI suffix and uh, she felt that, that uh, she was being intimidated by that. Um, she started her uh, style Kia business in a garage in 2017 which designed small mirror sticks stick on sorry more stick on panels for her piece of IKEA furniture and uh, she starts to turn over $5,000 a month selling these panels handles and other accessories for flat pack furniture and she's got 23,000 followers on social media but the problem was that she tried to she had this uh, business name registered but tried to trademark the name um, and she pointed to the fact that over in uh, United States there's a company that calls themselves Mykia and there's one in England called Plykia so uh, she, her point is that maybe uh, uh, Kia doesn't have the right to this KEA um, suffix. She registered her business, uh, but the problem came when she tried to trademark it. Um, that's when IKEA sent her the first cease and decease letter asking her to withdraw her trademark application. And they also offered uh, $105 to cancel the business name and transfer the style Kia domain name to IKEA. So, I mean, this is not a new sort of situation. It happens a lot. People think that uh, registering the business name gives them the rights to it. Well, of course, it doesn't. Business, uh, we register a business name purely because it's the law and people need to know be who is behind a business name. The only way to protect a name is by trademarking it. And uh, IKEA is now saying that Style Kia is infringing infringing their registered trademark. And according to a lawyer from Kings and Wood Mullisons, 
they say that the case emphasised the distinction between a business name registration, which doesn't provide any rights, and a registered trademark, which provides exclusive rights. A later trademark need not be identified uh, sorry, need not be identical to an early trademark to oppose or infringe it. If it's deceptively similar, that's enough that it will be down from consideration of the significance of the aspects that marks that it have in common and consumer perceptions of, of them. So it shows that the potential perils of relying on a business name as establishing some sort of rights when it doesn't and building a business and openly adopting a brand that takes its inspiration from an incorporate part of a well-known brand highlights that the public relations issues from well-known brand owners is taking steps to police their brand against businesses that clearly love that brand. So I think the message that comes from that is when we're registering a business name, not only do we have to check the availability of the business name through ASIC, which is where we do register business names, we also need to check trademarks to see whether the trademark or something similar has been registered. And uh, we can do that through ipaustralia.gov.au. Go to that site and you can uh, type in the name you're thinking of using and it will come up and tell you whether there is a similar trademark. Remembering, of course, that with trademarks, there is 20 different uh, categories that you've got to come under. Uh, So it may not be in the same category, but obviously in this case... It is in the same category. But I would go a step further than that and say not only checking the business name registration and the trademark, I would also be checking to see whether the domain name, a .com or a .comau, is available because you want to be able to use that and also checking whether the social media names are available, Facebook uh, and and the others, uh, LinkedIn and so forth. So... You don't want to be putting in full stops and dashes and um, spaces, which all go to confusing your customers. So I think this particular case, and uh, she's going to fight it, and she's going to fight it herself so that to, to save some costs, but that might not help her either. It will be an interesting um, case to follow to see whether IKEA wins or whether this uh, young lady wins out with her idea. But... I would always be very cautious with business names. You're listening to Business, The Law and You on 2NURFM. So we've got time for a couple of Harvard Business Review tips. And this particular one, as we said earlier, develop new productivity habits that will stick. Productivity systems are the behaviours we repeat constantly and methodically to get more done. People often change their systems in order to improve productivity, but find themselves reverting back to old habits. It's hard to change your productivity system without modifying your environment since previous behaviours may have been mapped in certain spaces. And even when new behaviours make sense, it's easy to remain convinced that old habits are more effective. However, you can change the way you think about your routine. Start by identifying parts of your daily routine, such as arriving at the office, that happen with relative consistency and use them as cues for new behaviours. When I arrive at the office, I will take my task list dictates the morning 
priorities instead of checking emails like I used to. Don't just overthink it. The whole point is to create new habits and that become automatic. And we've got time for one more. This one's quite a quick, short one, but I think a very important one. Uh, Dressing in formal clothing affects how you think. It's known that people thinking become more abstract when they adopt formal, polite language. So a team led by Michael Slefflin from Columbia University set out to discover whether the same thing happens when people put on formal clothing. And indeed it does. Research participants wearing formal attire scored 5.05 on a 1 to 10 scale of a type of thought process that measures abstract thinking versus 3.9 for those wearing casual clothing. Abstract thinking facilitates the pursuit of long-term goals over short-term gains. Saving uh, versus spending, for example. So uh, have a think about it. I know we're becoming a more informal uh, generation these days, but uh, I sometimes feel more comfortable in informal clothing, but I notice that I'm not quite so formal in my business attire. So uh, it's important to uh, think about it, see whether it works for you. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at uh, making sure that uh, we our contracts are in writing and they're not just these verbal, off-the-cuff statements that we say with uh, Dr. John Woodward. And we've had a quick discussion on trademarks versus business names and making sure that we check those trademarks before we register a business name. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you, with, with us with more of our easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to chat with human relations expert Joe Hanlon. We'll have our minute on innovation with Christina when she's back from Boston with some great ideas and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Winston Churchill once said, the pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity. The optimist sees opportunity in every difficulty. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.